everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast, our Monday edition. And we have our regular crew sitting a lot taller than normal on a kind of a weird kind of stool thing going there. We have Galley. What are you sitting on? I don't want to even, I don't even know if I want to know. What's going on? What's up, man? This looks like one of those weird prison interviews. Like, there's <laughs> like, a real dateline feel to it tonight. Truth of the matter is, I'm sitting on the same stool I always sit on. The computer is a little bit lower than normal. Oh, it's a perception issue there, Bickler. And Bickler is always with us with the same heights. Uh, you guys missed it. If you, We should do a behind-the-scenes version of this podcast where we can kind of see Bickler eating out of a pot uh, on a weekly basis. Bickler, what's going on, man? Not a lot. It's Monday. Uh, happy to be live. Happy to be here. It is. I wish it was a more happy Monday. Obviously, after the weekend, uh, it's not where it should be. And we'll kind of like get into that more. But let's make it even more Monday than it normally is and do the trivia section. So uh, our BJ, the stat guy, has sent us some stats. So I figured I would go with this question right here. Uh, with the FA Cup match coming up, instead of a Villa question, I'm going with like a Chelsea FA Cup question. How many times has LFC played Chelsea in FA Cup matches? And what is the record? And as a, we'll do a tiebreaker as well. But let's go with this first. How many games do you guys think? And what is the record? God. Um cup matches. What's the record? I don't have any I don't have any idea on this. And this is is this over the course of the entire history or just Premier League? <laughs> what? It's FA Cup, man. So now your nitpicking questions don't even make sense at this point. It's FA well, Cup match. <laughs> You know how this goes. We're, we're we're buying time for Galley, so um, which Galley just like sits there incredulously, does me no favors. He should be he should be playing along, asking like origin of the question and stuff. The, the only the only other question there is to ask is how long has the FA Cup been going on for? <laughs> it's all see BJ specifies one question, which it didn't need really specifying. You guys are just trying. I to just asked a question and BJ gave the answer, and I didn't even know it was up on the screen. FA Cup matches. How many times have we faced Chelsea of yeah. all time in FA Cup? Bickler, just, go. I don't know, dude. I'll, I'll go thirty. That's the whole point. It's trivia. <laughs> all right, I'll go thirty-four, which I think Jesus. is high. Sorry, and I gave away that it's high by saying Jesus, I think. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 30. Victor's trying to find a combination that totals 34 in his head, so it's taking a while. No, I'm not in my head. It's on paper, all right? Uh, I'll go 22, 8, and 4, but that's way too high. Anyway, go ahead. That is a little out there. Uh, uh, Galley... Yeah, you look like you're in a timeout right now. <laughs> I don't know why it looks like that, but go ahead. What is your guess? I'm going to say 13, and I'm going to say 8, 4, and 1. All right. Well, I kind of figured we wouldn't need a tiebreaker for it. So 11 matches is actually is how many times we met him. 
Uh, the record actually is not that great. Uh, four wins, seven losses. Uh, 16 goals scored against 23 conceded. But here's the semi-silver lining. Out of those 11, three of them have been in a semifinal or a final, out of which we've actually won two, lost one, scored five, three conceded. So hopefully we will make that three in one coming up this next weekend. On on Thursday's podcast, Galley is going to be hosting Fish and David Rice, so I'm sure they'll go into the game a lot more detail. But let's go to what we have on hand right now. Uh, let's recap the weekend a little bit. Obviously, the ideal scenario was we would be talking today in pole position, but we're kind of like in the back looking ahead at City after the results from the weekend. Bickler, what do you make of that? Obviously... I mean, it was a strongest lineup we can put out there. What do you make of that game and the whole result, I guess? I don't know. I mean, it's frustrating. I, I still don't really know how to process that. I mean, I think in my head I knew it was a long shot to catch City anyway, but we just know that they're capable of laying eggs. Um, I, You know, we always said that that was going to be our toughest game on the run-in, but then form hit different sides, and, and it seemed like it maybe was going to be Newcastle for a little bit. Uh, but they just did what they do really well under Conte. You got to remember, like, this is the same Conte that did this with Chelsea. Like, and arguably he's got better plates, players to do it with at Tottenham. And I mean, I'm not saying just, like, overall quality, but I'm saying, like, the pieces he has at Tottenham are almost better than when he took over Conte for that system. So, I mean, we knew he was going to be super sound defensively, and then he's got pieces to hit on the counter, and that's what they did. And they made it so that, like, they sunk so deep that, like, at times our center backs were inside of their half by, like, 10 yards. So that makes it so when they counter, we're in a lot of trouble if we don't have our spacing correct. And, you know, Robbo checked out for a minute, dropped deep, and that was all it took. Yeah, that goal by itself, I think it starts with Trent's ends with Robertson. Just, I don't know why he, he keeps backpedaling there. But eventually, like initially, I felt like, you know, Trent could look. But I mean, let's look at this. I, mean, I know everybody's kind of looking at that goal. But I mean, we scored our goal ultimately off of a deflection as well. Um, what do you think, Gally? I mean, and obviously, that's a good point that we've always struggled against breaking down like Conte defenses. And their squad right now is definitely a lot better suited for like counterattacking, especially like the people they have, like that front three they have. I mean, what do you make of it? What were we lacking to be able to open that? Is it just because it felt like we launched a ton of crosses where, you know, we had time and they were not the crosses we needed or should I have been something different? What do you make of it? But I, I think to Paul's point, you know, Conte set up his, style of system he has a great group of talent for what he needs to do and they needed a point so much that i don't even begrudge them how they played they 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 came in looking for a draw they got a draw and they would have taken it at nil nil and it ended up being one one what frustrated me was that it was on the counter attack where you know robo shuts off and and really that's a big spot and just seems that Trent gets sucked in there and then he drops off, breaks the offside trap, and then, you know, Sun taps it in. 
once we get the goal on the deflection, you think that we might be able to steal it late as we've done so many times this year. But this was an opportunity where we just weren't going to pick up points we hadn't earned. And, you know, I'd say we were lucky to get a point in this match because at times I thought we were outplayed. And that's the thing. Like, let's, if you look at the first half, Bickler, I mean, we at all times, obviously, I worried. I know everybody was saying because of the form, like you, like we're talking about earlier, that Newcastle was the toughest game. But I always felt this was, and my biggest fear really was that they would be a lot more threatening on the counter with the people they have, with like Kane's passing and Son and Kluszewski like making those runs. It felt like the first half that didn't happen. With that team and with those players, I almost like I was worried at all times because it was a matter of time. But it looked like the goal might eventually come if we keep our patience and keep going at it. What do you think should have like what was lacking that we could never break that defense down? I, I mean, I think it's just in anytime you're in a war of attrition, you have to get a lucky bounce occasionally. I don't think it's anything that we particularly did or didn't do. It's like sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't, you know. We got it. It just came too late. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing is like you're basically shooting the percentage on chances by just pumping the ball in in volume. Right. Like the more if like if I just continually put this ball on frame, if I continually put this ball in this ball in dangerous areas, if I continually pump this from the right channel, the left channel, like the ball is going to drop somewhere. It's going to ricochet off somewhere. And one of our guys is going to be there to bury it. Right. And I think I just. I think we got that break. It just came too late. And unfortunately we made a mistake on the counter and we didn't have enough volume there second half to find the second one. So it just, I think it's just, I think it's just one of those things that when you're just in a war of attrition, it, it takes a little bit of luck over the course of 90 minutes and we just didn't have enough of it. So Gal, you think it's just ineffective crosses, not enough shooting, or it's just a matter of kind of like what Bickler is saying where nothing really kind of like clicked and went our way. It feels like Trent had so many opportunities to be able to whip that ball in. And I mean, they were freaking crowded in there too. I mean, it's not like on Trent's crossing overall. It was just like hard to find a space in there regardless of how good the cross is. But I mean, did you have... As you're watching, did you say, man, I wish we did this. I feel like if we do this, we'd get the score. I, I mean, I, I felt like the ball moved slowly in the first half, and that was something that was hard. We were trying to figure out how we were going to break down this, you know, low block that they had. As the second half pushed on, we had a few more opportunities. And once they scored, we obviously pushed forward. I just felt like we never had any we, – we, we always felt like we were going to win this match. Like I felt like the players even felt like for a long time they were going to win this match at nil-nil. And they were just kind of just passing left and right and trying to look for opportunities to break in. There were no incisive crosses. There were no incisive runs. Even on the couple opportunities on corner kicks and free, free set pieces – Seemed like we wasted him when Virgil hit that header over the bar when he had a wide open header. And I just think in matches like this, you have to take those opportunities. And it just seemed like they were just that much off. So in terms of that, and that was the problem is it was almost impossible to make runs behind them because they were freaking like almost like in the box. That line was so far back. 
in terms of the lineup, Victor, do you have an issue with the front three or the midfield three, like being constructed a different way to go against that? Or do we not? I mean, you would think we kind of expected him to play this way. A, it's how they norm if how how content normally plays, and B, this was probably like their only chance to be able to because if they play open, obviously we're going to score on them. But do you have a problem with the lineup or the selection at all? Uh, I don't have a problem with the lineup. I mean, I think this is a match where a fully fit Bobby probably does really well uh, because he opens up space uh, behind him and he sinks deeper into the mids. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see Kanate just generally because Matip is your league start. Kanate takes the European starts. But, I mean, I think when you look at it, there was real concern about the back-end pace of Tottenham and breaking our line off the counter. And I think the response was that Kanadi's got the, the higher top-end pace of the two center backs. So that's why he got the start. So it makes sense to me. Um, I don't have a problem with the lineup. I think that's probably the right lineup. I think Thiago here is, is probably key to unlocking some things just because he plays those balls for the channels. Problem is, is like we got to have guys that are ready for that ball. Like the, the Trent's inability to read that run is, is, really, um, is really poor. And like – you know, that, that was the spot, man. That was really the spot. Diago had it on a rope for him. He All he had to do was walk it in near post with his head, um, and he just missed it. Uh, he didn't even see the run, and that's that's kind of the sad part. Um, I, I mean, we, we had chances. Verge, Verge took one off the bar, the, the Trent situation. There were chances there. Um, I think this lineup is probably the best lineup that was available for this. Uh, against this tactical, the, the, the tactics, the Spurs t- tactics. Yeah, it feels like with Thiago, it happened a couple of times this game. I was like, even after all this time, he almost fakes out his own teammates' way. The way he can kind of look off defenses. There was a yeah. one where, you know, you kind of knew the ball was going to go to the left to Robertson. It didn't because he made it look like it's not going to. And then played the ball, which kind of like normally, if Robertson can't read that, it creates a ton of space for him because the, the defense thought it's not going to go there. But Robertson wasn't expecting either, so it goes out. Same thing that happens with Trent. I thought that was kind of odd that, you know, they were not – even his teammates are not really used to him looking people off like before he like kind of like whips those passes. Same question for you, Gally, in terms of the lineup, knowing that they're going to sit so far back. I guess Matip – that was kind of like the trade-off, though, right? So, I mean, like, kind of like Bickler is saying, you either had Matzib dribbling that ball up to kind of maybe pull some of that defense around, or you had Kanade's pace to counter, like, you know, they're counter-attacking. I understand why you would have the pace at the back, because really we knew that the only way they were going to hit us was on the counter-attack and try to wait for us to have lots of possession, turn the ball over in a bad spot, and then try to get odd numbers on us on the break. And I think in that spot, you want to have a big, strong center back who can outrun everyone on the pitch. And I think that's what they feel like they have in Kanate. Plus, I think in some ways it gives you the ability to play Matip on Tuesday, still have five full days rest before the cup final if you want to play him on Saturday against Chelsea. So I think it's a, it's kind of a, a – they were each going to play one of these three and the other one's going to start the other two. And I think this just works out. Matzah plays the next two. I don't think it was a big deal there. The, in the midfield, it made sense to me, the starters, 
Henderson had to start this match. It was a really important match at home. I just don't think it really worked. And the substitute patterns we might get to didn't make sense to me in the second half. But Yeah, let's go to that. Uh, let's start with you then, since you kind of like brought that up. Instead of the substitutions, are you shocked to see some of them? I was personally shocked that we didn't see Divac in there. I kind of understand the Keita move to kind of like open it up a bit more. Um, so where do you stand on that? I mean, were you shocked that our boy Divac didn't come in? And then, you know, like even Keita did not come in until the 88th, which is kind of, you know. If I'm going to bring in Keita, I would have brought him in probably no longer than the 70th because I would like to have seen him gotten enough time to kind of settle into the match and maybe make an impact. Um, when Costas came into the match, I didn't really understand. And, and I guess my thought is, is, if Andy couldn't play the whole 90 minutes, I would have thought you would have just started Costas in the match. And I don't understand if that was an injury, if they just thought he got fatigued, if they didn't think he was keeping up. Because to me, you, you were going to start one or the other in both of these matches between Villa and Spurs. You want to start your best player against the better team, but if he can't give you 90 minutes, to me that was just a big waste of a sub because they bring in Jota, and honestly, I don't know how many touches he had, but it didn't seem like many, and they weren't very effective. I can't really remember a single moment he really had an impact on the match after he came in. So if you're going to utilize a sub attacking-wise with him and then – you have to bring in a sub for your left back. It just seems like it was kind of poor management on the overall squad to start. I understand the Jota move just because we were putting those balls in the box and that's not really Mane's strength for the most part. That's probably Jota's strength uh, to be able to be in those and, you know, be good on the headers. And we didn't have as many bodies in the middle for that. So I kind of understood that. I felt like, yeah, either the Keita move came in too late or would have been i think we were all like kind of like thinking this could be another divac moments in there coming in you know at the cup and and trying to get one in uh what do you make of those substitutions bickler shocked to see your boy divac not making an appearance you know i can't believe i'm gonna say this but like <laughs> i i actually understand the substitutions from the standpoint of who came out and who came on i don't understand the 88th minute one I, I, I am in total agreement with you guys. I think if you're going to go Nabby, you have to go a lot earlier. If you're looking at an 88th-minute sub, though, and these are clearly substitutions that, that are, are, are specifically trying to generate a goal, right? I mean, you brought off two holding midfielders for two attacking players, essentially, in Nabby Keita and, and Jota. The Costas thing I get because I think that Costas has one of the best dead, dead ball deliveries in the league. He's got a killer corner kick. He's got – I think he immediately improves your delivery from the left channel. So if you're going for a win and you're pumping balls into the box, I think that's the move. However, because now you have Trent and you have Costas that can, can zip them in from both sides. However, if that's what you're going for, Jada makes sense. He's pretty good in the air. But I would think that Div's height and hold-up play would be important there versus, versus Nabby, especially if you're trying to do this thing in like two minutes plus injury time. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either, other than the fact that you just felt like you needed another midfield body. Uh, but I think if you're throwing it all at it, like you got to put Div in. I don't understand what I don't understand the Navi substitution at 88 minutes either. So, Gally, give me your, I guess, 
the silver lining in terms of a performance, like the best performance and the worst performance you think out of that match? Oh, I mean, I'd say the, probably the best performance is probably Diaz. Uh, not just the goal, just he seemed to be the most electric, the most attack-minded. He was on the ball. And his work rate and effort on the defensive end and pressing when we're out of possession is really, really great, even when we, we were out of possession for such a short amount of time in this match. So I'd say Diaz is probably the best. The worst. I wouldn't even know where to go the worst. I think Fab had a rough match. Um, he got run through the midfield a few times, and I think he was lucky to be on the pitch at the end of it. I think he honestly could have picked up five different yellow cards and one red. And the fact he got off the pitch without walking orders is kind of surprising. So I'd probably put him as the least because I don't think he should have finished 90 minutes. Yeah, the refereeing was kind of all over the place and I guess inconsistent overall. I normally like Oliver and his refereeing, but this was like, it was a little all over the place. But it wasn't a game where... After I watched it, I was like, man, we got screwed out of like refereeing or anything like that. I just felt, you know, and I was like oddly at ease afterwards, even put the entire Discord fan channel into shock because I just did not feel like we played good enough. Like, oh, we just missed that opportunity. It was kind of like a blah game overall. But let me ask you the same question to you, Bickler, in terms of the best performance and the poorest performance out of that match. I mean, best performance was Lucho, and I think he has probably been arguably our best performer over the last three matches. Um, and I think he's carrying this side right now, to be quite honest. I mean, nobody wants to hear that, but I mean, I don't think we're particularly playing great. Uh, I think we've been carried by some good backline play in, in Lucho right now up front. And I think, you know, moving Sadio has solved some things temporarily, but it feels patchwork to me. It feels like we're papering over cracks, um, considering the fact that, like, Mane spent the majority of the season in bad form, and now we've got Mo in bad form. So um, I think, though, and that leads me to my worst performance, which starting-wise, could, you could probably make an argument for Mo, but I think it doesn't pale to compare. Like, I think when you look at the 20 minutes Jota was on, that was by Thank far you. the worst. And I think that's been really concerning now for the greater part of a month. Like, his form is dropped off so dramatically um, he doesn't even look like he knows where he's supposed to be. Um, and the lack of identity in his play is really concerning, considering the fact that very much like Lucho, he hit the ground running when we brought him in. He basically worked himself into the – he did exactly what Luis Diaz did. He he hit the ground and basically solidified a starting spot in Mane. We didn't have the ability to really move Mane around that much, so he he really supplanted Mane. Um and now it's it's his turn to struggle. So um, that's that's a big concern. I mean, when you look at that front three, the only one that's playing consistently well right now is Luis Diaz. Everybody else is is very very hit or miss, uh, mostly miss. So talking about Jota, then I mean, because I I think you make a good point in terms of like not knowing his role, because I really don't know either. You know, initially we felt because Mane and Mo because of their form, and we didn't have Diaz in the equation. So it was almost like a no-brainer, right? He would be the one in the middle. Uh, it was almost like a Bobby, but with the finishing, you know, like everybody was like, oh, but he can finish and stuff like that. But definitely when he's on the wing, I don't think he can perform as well 
And then now when he's in the middle, he can kind of get lost, especially when we're going against, you know, like the low block. And I think Mane has the same issue this game. There was really no room to come back and get the ball or make a run behind. So it was kind of like lost in the middle. Uh, what do you think his role is moving forward? Obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk about who's going to come back, who's not. There was a lot of talk, you know, rumors about money today and stuff, too. We have all summer to worry about all that crap. But what do you think uh, Jota's role will be moving forward? Is it in the center? Does he have to kind of, like, make himself work on it's the It's got to be in the center. It's got to yeah. be in the center. I think that's that's where he plays the best, and that's where he's the most direct. Uh, yeah. I don't see I don't see any way around it. I think I think Diaz is really interesting because you know when Jota was left, he plays very similar to Mane, where they 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 like to move and drift centrally, and that works with Bobby dro- dropping in deep because essentially now you're playing what essentially ends up being a four three one two with two strikers up top behind uh, almost like a free roam ten. Um, but I think what's interesting with Diaz far left is that he's made room. He he shows sideline, so he shows wide, and he holds that, and he'll make that inside run, and he'll dribble inside, uh, but he doesn't distribute more than anything. It's not his first run. And when he's with him playing wide as a traditional winger, what it's really done is it's opened up a lot more room for Tiago to operate there and sort of pick his play. But I thought I think what's been really interesting is if you watch Robertson the last if you watch if you watch Robbo the last like three or four matches, he's getting a lot of room and he's making inside runs. He's not doing the overlap anymore. Yeah. He's cutting inside Diaz, which and Diaz almost kind of tucks back underneath him, which is very similar to what we've seen kind of Trent do, you know, for, for years. So it's, he's almost allowed us to mirror what we've done with Trent on the other side. I think he's to me, Diaz is like not only is he hit form phenomenally, but for me, I, I think he's so important because of what he brings to the side tactically. And that kind of like leaves us in a tough spot, though, doesn't it? Because yeah, you have a sure. Diaz in form and Mane, who I thought was doing well in the middle, but he does need that space to operate. And now, I mean, these are good problems that I, have, I guess in some ways where Bobby is coming back. I guess who does that kind of leave in uh, trouble galley i mean i i don't think it, i i think bobby and joe just sit on the bench and come in and play big roles um bobby may have a start here or there in a in a major match and with the right tactical setup that makes sense but i think that jota and bobby become the impact subs along with divak and keita and you're just going to see the best 11 starting from the beginning. And I think we know who that 11 is at this point. He's not going to not start Diaz, Mane, or Mo the rest of the way, in my opinion. Maybe one match, but I feel like they're going to start the rest of the matches, including both cup finals. Speaking of Diaz, by the way, uh, if you have not seen uh, the new shirt that we have by Erin Grogan, who's our, you know, one of the, we're having like a full collection from her. Uh, there's a Mane and a Jota design coming up as well. But if you have not seen that, I'm probably the worst guy to be. It's, it's definitely going to look a lot better on you than it does on me. That goes without saying. I think I'm probably the worst guy to model. But I guess it could be a scale where if it looks this good on this guy, just imagine how good it's going to look good on you kind of deal. So we're trying to get one. Uh, for Galley and Bickler as well. But Bickler's is going to get lost in the mail. I have my – you can bet on that. So, okay, let's go now to 
The next day, we were kind of hoping for a Newcastle win. That did not really go well. So where are we at now, Bickler? I know, and I want to kind of bring this to a discussion that's uh, in terms of like the season as a whole, but I want to leave that to the end. Let's just focus on the Premier League now. Where do you see us and how would you want us to kind of like move forward, especially with the game tomorrow in mind and a final coming up this weekend? Well, we're favored in both final matches, which probably means fuck all, but like you got to feel pretty good about going into both of those in terms of our chances. Like, I think I'll go like best to worst, right? I think like I expect, and I think this team deserves to sweep the rest of the competition, essentially win two more trophies, complete the trouble and probably lose to city in a fairly close race in the Premier League. If that happens, I think there's an argument to be made that they are possibly the best Premier League team of all time. Um, I think that's a real argument to be made. I know that there's people that are probably going to argue the other way on that, especially if you're fans of other teams. Uh, but I think that that's a legitimate argument. Uh, if we win one, I don't think that it will bother me. It won't bother me as a supporter because I feel like I deserve more. It'll bother me because I feel like this team deserves more than that. I think they're better than just walking away from one this year. And I think that if we win one this year, will it be a disappointment? Yes. Will you, will we consider this year a disappointment? I think that that's really unfair because if you look at the side, we played in every single available match we've done things and that's, I don't think a team's done that in like 25 years. I mean, somebody can correct me with the stat. I, I think when I saw it, it was like we were looking at early 2000s. And then before that, there are a couple teams, 70s, 80s, who did it. But these are historic accomplishments from a team. And I think when you're looking at something that significant in terms of an achievement in general across all competitions, like I can't ever consider that a disappointing year. I guess – I mean, I agree with the fact that, you know, I would feel more bad for the team because at the end, I mean, we talked about this, I think, like a few months ago on the podcast where, you know, when we look back on this team, we want them to have a whole list of trophies because it is, I mean, definitely maybe because of our age and stuff, but still, you know, maybe I was too younger and barely remember those other teams, but I feel like this is the best Liverpool team we watched. And I guess the records show it as well. They're breaking record after record. And I feel like, you know, it's against tougher opposition, whether it's in England or in Europe as well. So I will be disappointed if they just don't get more trophies, kind of like what you're saying, Bickler, for the sake of the team. And would it be disappointing season, Galley, if you only end up with the League Cup and lose both finals? I mean, disappointing season when you take me to this like edge of every single competition. I think disappointing is a tough term. Um, the season wouldn't be disappointing. Would I be disappointed knowing we could have won four and got one? Yes. But I don't think the season is a disappointing season because I think you have to take all – 63 matches or 64 matches that we would have played in. But I don't think we're going to lose three of the next five matches that will lead to that. So, you know, I'm with Paul. I think winning two, winning three will make us right up there with the greatest Premier League teams of all time, if not the greatest Premier League team of all time. 
And I think what we've gotten to endure and go through this season is just, you know, we're just so lucky that, you know, so many fan bases can't even believe we're talking right now about whether a success will be one, two, three, or four trophies. And they're just wishing for one ever. And I think that's the thing. I think that obviously would be disappointing because you're hoping for something and you're getting basically where you were at. Like the League Cup win almost seems like it was a long time ago, where you know, even though it is part of the season, obviously. But uh, so part of this says if West Ham doesn't beat City, I rotate heavily against Wolves and save the legs for Madrid. And this is kind of like what I was going to get into, but more for the Premier League for tomorrow. Knowing that the Premier League race has gotten a lot tougher Bickler would you because I know let's say I, I should say I would personally rotate as heavily as we can for tomorrow's game and hope that rotation still pays off and you beat a Villa team that in terms of quality you should be able to beat even with the rotation obviously ideally even though it's an away game so that you can still have the rest of legs for the FA Cup final because the FA Cup final and the Champions League final are two results that are in your hands where you don't need any help whereas if you put your best foot forward tomorrow win the game but then end up going to that Saturday's final with like tired legs I don't know if you want that because I know Klopp said, I think it was in the post-match, that you know we're going against a Spurs team that's playing once a week and we're playing more often. We have more tire legs and stuff like that. Isn't it more important to make sure that we have the legs we need for the final as opposed to the legs we need against Villa? Yeah, I think it's half the equation. You're looking at the physical side of it. I would argue the mental side. I would argue if you rotate too much and don't get a result here, you're going into a Chelsea final out of form and in a bad spot mentally. Um, I don't see the rotation until Wolves um, just because I think there's too much um, psychologically to lose by not getting a result versus Villa. Um, but, I mean, I'm wrong plenty, so like, we'll, we'll see. That's a good point, and I do understand the mental thing, but don't you think, like, you know, if we rotate heavily and lose, you think that would still have a mental effect? Knowing, I do. I mean, I think we rotated. On a side that hasn't dropped hardly any points this year, yeah, I definitely do. What do you think, Gally? Um, I think Paul's point of that he doesn't know anything is probably the most poignant thing made on this whole entire podcast. Yep. Um, just to be just to be poignant while we're on all the points. Um, <laughs> but I think the rotation will come in Southampton midweek before the Wolves match. I don't think you'll want to rotate against Wolves. I think the I think against Wolves, we'll see the team the following weekend that's going to play against Madrid is what I think. They have a week off in between. I think the rotation happens against Southampton when we have to play the short week after uh, the FA Cup final. Tomorrow, I think we do see some rotation, but I think if you're going to see heavy rotation, I think it's that – Tuesday against Southampton. Um, that's where I think he rotates. But this is all conjecture. We don't know. I think he's going to go for everything. I think mentally losing tomorrow, not even losing tomorrow, even winning by the skin of your teeth tomorrow and playing really poorly, coming off that draw against Tottenham at home, I think would be damning on what they have still left in front of them. 
I think they're going to come out tomorrow and they're going to play well because I think Klopp's going to get them ready. I think he'll be they'll be right. And I don't think tactically Gerrard's ready to handle or make the adjustments it takes to beat a Liverpool-type team in the second half, even at his own place. See, BJ says the obvious. BJ says pluses against TVG have to give Villa respect from that point. I, I don't know about in that part. I feel like there are a couple of players they have, obviously, that can cause us problems. But if we're on our game, I don't see them. And here's another thing. I don't know if Villa is going to play as defensive as home. How do you expect Villa to approach the game? Do they kind of like see what they can get out of it and sit back, Bickler, or they just kind of go at us? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they're uh, they're arguably in some of the worst form in the Premier League. Like their form over the last high six weeks has been really bad. So I don't know if they can just open it up right now on us. I mean, I, I think they may be forced to counter a little bit, which I mean, they're probably all right with. Dan, um, I do think Danny Ings is starting to play well again. That definitely helps them. Um I don't know how they're going to set out. I, I I would guess that they're going to sit back and counter just because I don't think they have much of a choice. What do you think, Gally? I mean, how does CVG line this team up up there? Do they kind of like come at us or do they just, you know, kind of try to copy the Spurs recipe? I mean, obviously they don't have the team Spurs have to be able to do that. But Well, I mean, he normally sets up the same way he set up basically as he has as the pro, which is, really narrow, try to play defense, nick a goal and win. I mean, that's been ultimately what he's been successful at, at both Rangers here and at Villa in the short period for what you could call success. Um, I mean, with Paul, Ings is starting to play well. Ali Watkins has played well and scored some goals and started to chip in. Um, you know, it's funny for all the people out there that are so excited to see Coutinho tomorrow. You might get like a cameo appearance because Buendia has been playing really well and starting the last match or two. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Coutinho get a spot start or come off the bench. Um, I don't think this Villa team's that good. When you really look at them, they're right around where they should be in the table, anywhere from 15 to 12. And that's about where they're going to finish. So I think we should go in there tomorrow, rotate a few players, and we should win the match. Move on. So who should we rotate? Since you said that, while you're on it, uh, I would take. I would. I would probably rotate Kanate to Matip. I would start Simicast because I think if he's got to come in in that spot, I think Robertson probably needs a break. Um, in midfield, I think this might be a spot to give Tiago a rest, and then. Up front, I think you, if Bobby were fit, I'd start him, but I don't think he will. I don't think so. So I would say Jota starts, and I'm not sure if it's Mane or Diaz, but, you know, Mo has to play. He needs to score a goal or five. I think this has made it really tricky, Bickler. The lineup projections used to be a lot easier, right? Like, we would only decide. Like, they're like, that one speaks for itself. That one makes itself. Now it feels like, not only because of the game traffic. I mean, even without the rotation, I feel like it is. I mean, these are good problems to have, I guess, in terms of the squad depth that we never had. And obviously, you know, knock on wood, lack of injuries helps the cause. But what do you expect in terms of, like, a lineup tomorrow? In terms of rotation, uh, I have five 
I had five changes. Um, the back line I have, I do have Bravo starting. I think that that substitution was tactical. I don't think it was physical. Uh, I do have Bravo, Van Dyke, Matip, and then my surprise on the back line is I have Gomez here uh, with Trent getting a rest. Uh, midfield, Milner, Hendo, Cato. That makes sense to me. You know I hate men, Milner and Hendo in the same midfield, but it made Cato look like a world beater last time, so I'm hoping for the same. Uh, and then up top, I have Mane, Jota, and Diaz. I have Mo getting a rest here. I think Galli makes a really good point, though. I might be totally wrong. It's just a gut – like, it's the same thing with Trent. I just have a gut feeling that that right, right side is going to see some change. Um, my gut says Mo and Trent may be rest here, but I'm probably wrong. So, obviously, we're not going to be on Thursday's pod. So, my, I'm assuming you guys are kind of making these lineups and the rotation looking ahead to Saturday. As much as we say, you know, next, man is, next match is the most important match and stuff like that. Nah. For the lineup on the weekend, Bickler, do you expect what we had against Tottenham? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. So with Konate as well, a center back, and then I the do. front. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do how about you, Gally? Because I'm assuming on the same page, like, you know, you're doing some of this rotation with the weekend in mind. Yeah, I honestly, and, and I know this is, this upsets us because we all we were three of the biggest fans all season and talking about how he's the best center back all year. And he might still be over the whole year. I think at this point, Kanate has actually won the spot as the number one center back pairing next to Virgil and big matches. And I think we're going to see it by him playing in the FA Cup final. And then I think we're going to see it when he plays in the Champions League final as well. Do you agree? To, I mean, I still feel I still put Matip as number two above Konate. I think Jurgen sees him tactically as his second best center back alongside of Virgil. And I think he also believes he helps Trent with his attributes and speed. And I think that might be a little bit even bigger of a spot. And it's not a knock on Matip. It's something Konate can just do which helps some of Trent's weaknesses when he gives space. Because I feel like if Klopp had a do-over against Tottenham, he would have started Matip just because of his ability to play better against defenses that are setting that low back and kind of playing that defensively. Do you agree to that, Bickler, or do you stick with Konate still just due to speed? I mean, he probably speed, I don't know what you're getting right now from Konate compared I mean, to Matip, I should say. I think he probably, in retrospect, may feel that way. But, like, I think before the game, I think he makes that same decisions 10 out of 10 times. Because, I mean, he's looking. I think that Kanate does have a sizable advantage over Matip in pace. Um, I think here's where it gets interesting, right? I mean, he's, he's huge. So, I mean, last time he got paired in there versus Chelsea, who were playing in the final, because they wanted a big body to handle Lukaku. So... Like, I think the chances that you see him starting it again is very, very high. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with Matip as much as it has to do with how fucking unbelievable Kanate is at, like, 22. Like, he's a baby. And I think that just, like, this is the long-term future. 
the raw skill set is so valuable in terms of like what you want in an elite center back. Um, he has all those intangibles at a super high level at an extremely young age. Um, and so I think he's going to get as many opportunities here as possible. Um, so I don't, I don't think he would, I think in retrospect, yes, like because we couldn't break down Tottenham, you would be like, Oh, let's bring Matsup in because he brings more, he can add more value going forward. But like, you're also thinking, yeah, but maybe we can seed one over the top with Matip in. So we just we just don't know. It's impossible to say. I do think Kanate's getting to start this weekend just based on how Chelsea sets up and who he's going to be going up against. I think, yeah, because if you have Lukaku, you probably do want Kanate out there because you know otherwise they're just going to put Lukaku on Matip and they're just going to kind of like keep going with that. Even though actually Matip is good in the air, but I think we do play that matchup game. He does not match up against those guys normally. And then we use Konadi over there. But so how about for a score prediction for tomorrow then, Gally? What do you have against Villa? I'm going to go 3 1. Good guys. Ooh, that one's going to be mine too. I'll go. Uh... I mean, you can go same. No, I'll go 3 0. I'll go clean sheet. Really? Man, you yeah. guys, you know, that's. I... I'm going to be watching. Is it just odd that I'm going to be watching this a lot more relaxed than any game I watched in a while? Because I feel like, like I say, because if it was up to me, I would, and I understand like what you guys are saying in terms of like the mental aspect of it, but I would just make this lineup based on whoever is going to play on Saturday against Chelsea. I know you can't think that far back maybe, and I know it's still five days, but still I would rotate as much as possible because I mean, this is probably the last shot in terms of... So, let me ask you that, Bickler. I mean, is it the last shot? So, if even if you win tomorrow and City wins again, do you rotate really heavily going to Southampton or do you just run this team to the ground just to be able to kind of, like, chase everything? Um, City, if City wins, I'm probably rotating more, yes. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm not going to feel the like eight changes, right? But I mean, I, I'd probably rotate. I'd probably feel more comfortable rotating more, yes. But I mean, I think, look, anything can happen. I, anything can happen. So I think it's really easy for us to be like, all right, pack it in, Prem's over. I don't think anyone on that, I don't think anyone on that side of the fence that runs, you know, shit and is not just sitting in a chair talking about it like we do. I don't think anybody over there feels that way. And they shouldn't. Because I think, I mean, in terms of when you look at City, and I know they're in good form, but I feel like these two games back-to-back are the games when we were, you know, looking way ahead. These were the games that I was thinking they would lose points at anyway. Now we're kind of going for a loss as opposed to just losing points, Gally. But, I mean, doesn't it look like, I mean, we were looking back four or five weeks ago, weren't these the games that we thought they would lose points against anyway, especially the West Ham game? Yeah, what it comes down to is, is, is between now and if, if we win tomorrow, right? If we can pull out a win tomorrow, we're level on points, we'll be behind on goal difference. Before we play Southampton, they will have played Wolves away and who played them notoriously tough in West Ham in London, playing for Europa League spot, or at least Europa Conference, trying to qualify for Europe. If West Ham plays like they did last weekend, the way West Ham plays on the counterattack, who knows? 
if they have a couple opportunities early, they could pop a goal. They could score one early. You know, Diaz is out now for the year. Stones is out for the year. Walker's out for the year. These were all confirmed today. So they're going to play either Ake and Laporte or or Laporte and Fernandinho at center back. And we've seen what happens when you start a – an old midfielder at center back who a Brazilian <laughs> midfielder, a Brazilian holding midfielder at center back who is a great holding midfielder. We've seen what can happen, right? You I don't know what you're talking about. He is <laughs> like a month longer than we should have. You should have played a teenager, is the answer, right? We still got my poster up. Hold on a minute. Yeah, I mean, you know, Reese is still sitting around going like, wait, I get a T-shirt, right? I get something. But, I mean, it, there's still a chance. And honestly, Wolves and West Ham are the perfect types of teams because they have organized defenses. You know, maybe they hit them on the counter. Maybe each one scores first. We say they need to lose. We just need two draws, three wins. Man, I'm just like playing the percentages over here. I mean, that's kind of like asking for. So, okay, money on the table, Galley. How many points are they losing from this point till the end of the season, City? Two. Bickler, what do you have? How many points are they losing from now on? I don't think they're dropping any. Really? No. Damn, you pessimistic bastard. I was (laughs) – actually, in some ways, I think I rather (laughs) – not have him lose any points as opposed to just losing two points, <laughs> like Galley is saying, especially if we win out, because I, I think that would be more painful to lose it uh, by a point. So if you say that, Galley, are you saying in this Wolves game or West Ham where they lose the points? I would, oh, I would put it more on the West Ham match, but for whatever reason, I feel it might be the Wolves match. I just I feel like it'll give us the impetus to be all excited for the FA Cup final, which is fine. Give us a little bump. And then I just feel like, you know, honestly, I could see them drawing the Wolves match, even nil-nil and having like an awful dire match like they had against Southampton earlier in the year. And then, you know, we win the FA Cup final. It looks like they might draw with West Ham and they score some bullshit late goal. Disaster scenarios, man. Alan Walnut says, "Shame, Galley can't be the ref in the city games." Well, I I, honestly, if any of us were ref in the city games, I don't think Fernandinho would finish a game. The amount of like tactical fouls that guy does, and that was like my other thing is, you know, he plays against Wolves, he does something stupid, gets a red or something like that, they will be even in bigger trouble. I still felt, I know, like when we draw, like when we tied the game this Saturday. Everybody was like, oh, it's all done and over with. And let's face it, people were saying that three months ago too, but this might be semi-more realistic because obviously we're coming towards the end and there's less time. But I just never felt like that just because they do still have some tough matchups. I mean, Wolves can play some D, but that was the only thing I worry about it is that I don't know if Wolves can w- get a win out of it. They very likely could get a draw out of it. That's when I guess, Galley, we're going back to your... West Ham goals. But the even with Wolves, like right now is the best time. I think Gary Neville said it today somewhere, Talk Sport or one of his talking head shows. He basically was like, it's not over. And the reason it's not over is City has no center backs. 
they're down to one center back and a guy that they were willing to play old midfielders over in Ake sitting on the bench. And what it really comes down to is, is these teams do exactly what you need to do against teams that are going to attack, which is hit on the counter. And with Neto healthy again and Trincao healthy and, and Jimenez playing, you can actually have the pace up top for Wolves to actually hit on the counter if they have an opportunity. And we know what Bowen can do. I mean, Bowen might be the best player not playing in the Champions League next year of any team in the Premier League. So, you know, Bowen can score, Antonio can score, Declan Rice can show up and have a big moment, Dawson and Zuma. I mean, David Moyes might show up and make a big – like they're trying to win something and finish their season strong. So maybe West Ham. I mean, we're talking ourselves into something here, but I know, man, I'm going to like, just put this just clip on like replay and just keep listening to it. Cause there's really a lot of good optimism in there. So Bickler. No, I was going to, I was just, uh, we can leave on a positive note. Cause I'm going to shit on it for everybody. No, I was just going to say, I would feel better about this if they weren't just essentially rolling everybody. Like, if you put that Real Madrid game aside, they'd scored 18 goals in four games. Like, that's insane. Like, that's that's what they're doing right now. Like, so, like, yeah, if you look at me, you're like, you're looking at me, you're like, oh, what game are they going to tie or lose? It's like, dude, they're averaging more than four goals a game. What are you fucking talking about? None of them. Like, you know, like, I mean, I would feel better if they were, like, in the middle of a hiccup and, you know, I thought maybe that maybe the real Madrid game was going to knock them off a little bit. And then they turn around and score like eight goals. So it's like, and I think we almost like aided that. I felt like while they were down, if we beat Spurs, that kind of like adds to it. I think we kind of like opened the door a bit further and that kind of like gave them a bump. I mean, I mean, you know, they could have, at the same time said, hey, this is the only thing we got. We grab what we can get kind of deal. But let's look at the other end of things real quick before we leave. Who is leaving us in the Premier League? Because that's kind of a bigger mess. I mean, a couple of weeks, only like maybe like three, four weeks ago, uh, we were saying, oh, Leeds kind of probably fixed it. It was like Everton or Burnley. And now Leeds looks like they're leading the race. And especially with the players they're missing, and now even missing more players, red cars and things like that. I know they're my favorite to go down right now. Gally, who do you have as the third one joining Watford and Norwich? I mean, I would, I mean, statistically, I think you'd have to say Leeds. Um, I think I think there's still a chance that it's Burnley. I think Burnley not getting a result in the last match was really, really critical. They were playing at home. It was a match that I thought they would get a result in. Not getting it was kind of really going to hurt their cause. I still think that if Leeds needs something out of the Brentford and Brighton matches, they might find a way, though Brighton is playing really, really well, as we saw as they dismantled United. Then again, they were playing United. so I, don't I mean, it's true. They were playing United. I mean, Manchester, not Newcastle or West Ham or Sheffield even. Um, all three of which United's are better. Sheffield has a better chance of finishing ahead of Manchester next year, probably in the Premier League. But, um, but they, they, that's one that I think, I just think that it'll probably end up being 
I'm, I'm going to say Burnley right now for some reason. I, I feel like Leeds will find a way. I think they'll figure out a way to stick it out. Have faith in the American, you're saying. I'm not even going to go. I, I don't even think it has anything to do with the manager. Again, I think it has as much to do with the fact that Burnley got a big bounce, but they're using a youth team manager who had never managed a major match, and they have a team captain on the sidelines talking tactics. And it was a nice bounce, but I don't think the last week or two it's really worked. What do you have, Bickler? I just see Leeds just missing way too many players to be able to even pose. Your yeah. boy Bamford is not there, and now He's they got Bailey with the red card. And yeah, I I don't. I mean, I think it's really a coin flip because you're looking. If you look at the run of matches, uh, Burnley's probably got the most winnable fixture with Villa, but if you look. At the other fixtures, they're playing Newcastle and Tottenham, which I don't think – I don't feel that they'll get a result either one of those. So it's really just down to the Villa match for Burnley. But then if you look at Leeds in their fixtures, they have two that I think they could possibly get results from, that being Brighton and Brentford. Um, Trossard's on fire right now. He looks like a completely yeah. different player. I don't know what's going on there. But um, – I, you gotta, I, I've got to kind of give the edge to Leeds, actually, just because they've got two fixtures in which they can squeak something out. And I really only see one for Burnley, although it's the better chance. So I think it's really just going to be a coin flip. I'll tell you what happened to Trussard. I dropped him off my fantasy team. So I you know, that, that, will, that will do it. That will pick you up in form, people. So next move I'm doing is probably just drop Mo. And then, you know, take one for the team. I'm already going down in this league. Anyway, uh, take a, do you even want to take a quick peek at the fantasy standings there, Bickler? Or no, has the unnecessary pet drama given up? So I've not given up, but I've missed on my captain five straight weeks. And I can tell you, um, as dumb as this game is, that's one thing you got to get right. And Galley, yeah. I keep scrolling. Don't even ask. Um, I, I, I did what you said. I gave up on Mo because I said the only way I can do this is to try to, like, change my roster and make some moves and get some new players in and hope they're guys that score a lot of points. And, well, no. Yeah, I would root for uh, Kelly for the rest of the way. But, man, I'm looking at some of the players. I don't know. They're playing against us or she has some city players, so it's going to be kind of hard to root for her. But three weeks left, let's hope. We, I mean, I'm not even looking at myself. I'm down there in the 30s and yet having yet another miserable that's, week. So things are looking good. That's how you know it's a normal transfer week. I bring in Diaz and some other player. He goes out on the 45-minute mark hurt with one point in the yellow card, gets a zero. <laughs> Kelly brings in Laporte and Foden. One scores a goal, gets a clean sheet, maximum bonus points. The other one scores a dirty goal with like six seconds left in the match. And she's like laughing at me like usual. <laughs> On a weekly basis, mind you. Next year, Bickler, we're going to be at the top, right? I'm be chumming it up with Phil's mom. <laughs> Now I think we know more. And then next year, hopefully, we'll be listening to Galley's uh, recommendations. Or maybe we shouldn't. We'll listen to his recommendations and do the opposite. That's probably what we should be doing. Yep. Well, gentlemen, well, before we go, Bickler, we don't get a prediction. Uh, what is your uh, Saturday prediction for the final real quick? 
Oh, God. Uh, let's go. I'm going to go 2-0. 2-0. Uh, I like that. I was going to go with 3-1. I think we get them this time. We kind of, God knows we played them enough and I have more faith in us being able to adjust than them, especially if we're all healthy as we are right now. So hopefully by next Monday, at least we'll have double the trophies looking ahead to three and four and see the possibilities. We'll talk about that more. Gally, you'll be back with Fish and David Rice on Thursday, and you guys will be hopefully talking about the Villa win and then some. Gentlemen, see you guys next Monday. Thanks to all those for listening. Go check out the shirt on the website. It's going to look definitely better on you. And also, do us a favor. Go to our YouTube channel and give us a subscribe over there as we add a lot more video content coming up in the next few weeks over here. Definitely before the end of the season, but definitely coming a lot more next season as well. Take care, everybody. See you guys next Monday.